0: The margins here are, are greater than they are in any other jurisdiction, uh, and that's, that's fact. Uh, the, ministry, the, the federal government has uh, a consumer protection agency that should be looking at that. I will raise it with the prime minister the next time I have the opportunity. But these are self, self-evident. They should be taking action going into an election campaign in the fall. They should have more concern about the traveling public in British Columbia than they're showing at this point in time.
1: This is Vancouver Province Columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun Columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go Inside BC Politics. All right, that's uh, Premier John Horgan talking about gas prices, one of our favorite political talking points right now. Lots of people talking about gas prices in uh, the province, Rob, especially in Metro Vancouver where gas is so expensive, most expensive in North America. And Horgan under some heat here to do something about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those issues that is just going to persist, I think. Uh, We're going to talk about it as long as gas prices remain the highest in Canada. There's going to be people saying, can't government do something about this? And John Horgan can't go through a press conference now on any subject without getting asked a question of, well, can't you do something? Isn't there anything you can do? People are upset about this. And his answers are kind of, you know, you heard him off the top there talking about Maybe Ottawa should take a role. So his first kind of out in some of these conversations now is, well, don't look at me. I'm just the premier. There's a (laughs) prime minister who's got to get in this. And he, he says that they should have more concern in Ottawa about gas prices going into a federal election. And they have a consumer protection branch up there in Ottawa. They should be looking into it. Justin Trudeau, I don't I don't see Justin Trudeau taking this on before the election. He's got enough dumpster fires going, but what do you think, Smith? Well,
1: pay no attention to the thirty five cents a liter in provincial taxes that Horgan is collecting on every liter of gas in Metro Vancouver. He doesn't want to point fingers at himself. And by the way, our friend and colleague, Vaughn Palmer this week in the Vancouver Sun wrote a, just, just a devastating takedown of oh, yeah. Oregon on this. He just wolverined him. He brought up <laughs> the adamantium claws and just kind of went at him. Oh man, it was slice and dice. I uh, highly recommend you listeners check that out. Um, and as, as, as Vaughn pointed out in that column, he wants to point the finger everywhere, but at himself. Look, it's 35 cents a liter in provincial taxes. You telling me you can't do something about it? Sure, he can if he wanted to, but he'd rather spread the blame around—blame it on Ottawa, blame it on gouging gas companies, blame it on anybody but himself. And I'll tell you, the the Liberals are licking their chops over this, and they probably hope that gas prices go even higher because they think uh, Andrew Wilkinson, the leader of the Liberal Party, they're thinking like maybe we got Horgan on this and something. You know, if we can drive this home with people like. Remember, this is the guy who said he's going to make your life more affordable, and you're getting hosed at the gas pump, and, it, and it's Horgan's fault. They want that to stick.
2: We'll see. It's tough because Horgan's answers to the – I mean, he's clearly frustrated he gets this question. Let's let's play a clip here. This is a, a press conference he was at uh, announcing a highway improvement in his own riding here uh, in the Souk area on Vancouver Island, and he knows he's going to get a question about gas, gas prices. He gets asked, and here is his kind of long rambling sort of answer about this issue.
0: I'll say that uh, we have had two of the worst fire seasons in BC's history, 2017-2018. The forests are tinder-dry now. We could be into a third horrific season, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Our reservoirs are at all-time seasonal lows. The rain, although as much as we like to see it for our, our gardens and our and our wildlife, uh, is not that the levels that it's historically been here in the rainforest. We have a climate crisis underway, and we have had carbon pricing in British Columbia for a decade. We have the lowest unemployment. In the country, the fastest growing economy in the country, but the big challenge is at the pumps. And a one penny a a litre increase on April 1st does not account for a 25 cent increase since that uh, one cent was put in place. So although people may want to blame taxes, those taxes that are going to improve uh, roadways and, and bring on green initiatives, I think the result, the end result is we need to talk to the gas companies about why they're not refining more product to meet demand in the marketplace. Those are questions for for industry, I'm happy to raise that with the prime minister, but they have other uh, fish to fry, and that brings us on to salmon. I look over at my kicks. So uh, there are other there are a range of issues. Gas prices are key, but it's it's clearly not a taxation question. You don't see a quarter uh, a liter increase uh, based on on gas taxes. That's that's directly coming going into the pockets of refiners who are clearly not refining enough product. So, Smitty, I think there's a lot in there, but I think
2: one of the things that he keeps, uh, the premier keeps saying, is the issue of refining more product to meet demand. And he's saying, look, you know, we need we need more refineries to be producing the gasoline that uh, that we use here in the province. Now. I mean, he's not saying where we would have this refinery no. because I sure as heck don't think it would be in British Columbia. He and his entire cabinet and his entire caucus and his green allies, his frenemies in the greens would be out there chaining themselves to whatever apparatus is near the terminal that they plan on building, let alone whatever pipeline would get the material to the refinery. I, I what do you make of this art this line that he continues to use that we need more refining capacity in BC?
1: Well, it, it, I don't think it would just be the Green Party would be out there protesting it. I think a lot of British Columbians, like let's say they tried to build a an oil refinery in uh, somewhere in Metro Vancouver. I mean, this is like, as, as our friend Vaughn pointed out this week in his column, this is like the Banana Republic. Banana stands for build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. And that would certainly be the case in Vancouver. There's no way you could build a refinery kind of in the lower mainland. So then that leaves somewhere else if you're going to s- build this uh, phantom refinery. Well, there is David Black, right? The newspaper publisher who's talked about building one in the North Coast. But the Horgan government has just endorsed the, uh, the Fed's uh, uh, tanker ban on the North Coast. So where are we supposed to build this?
2: Refinery. And, then, and his refinery was relying on Northern Gateway, the pipeline to bring yeah. oil to his refinery, which the Fed squashed, right. which the NDP campaigned against. So you wouldn't have even got the material to refine it in the first place. Yeah,
1: and there's there's real no... I mean, if, if someone could make money building a refinery in British Columbia, don't you think they would have done it a long time ago? I mean, the, the private sector hasn't done it. So... You know, again, these reasons that he comes up with and the pointing the finger starts to look a little desperate when you just sort of scratch the surface of some of this pretzel logic that he's got for some of these ideas. I mean, there's not going to be a refinery built uh, anytime soon in B.C. And and you mentioned he made these comments while announcing a highway improvements in his own riding, right, in Souk, where uh, the studies, the the ministry's own studies of the traffic on that highway show the, the large majority are single passenger vehicles. Uh, going along in this highway so he's kind of you know this is the same guy who says he wants to uh, he's got this climate change plan but wants to facilitate the people driving in a single in a single passenger vehicle at the same time they're getting gouged with gas prices so you know it's i think he's vulnerable on it i think the liberals sense he's vulnerable on it and they're going to start pressuring him even more on it
2: well if his defense is build more refineries I think he remains vulnerable I mean what who would build a 10 to 15 billion dollar refinery in British Columbia when you know you're going to fight the provincial government to build the refinery you're going to fight the provincial government to get a pipeline to get whatever oil you plan on refining yeah. you're going you have a provincial government that is mandated in law now that all new vehicles after 2040 are electric or non-emission producing so If you're planning on recovering your cost in building this $15 billion refinery over 20 years, 21 years from now, the the BBC government is making it legal to use the gas that you plan on on recovering your costs from. So I'm not sure why the premier continues to go on this refinery issue. I, I think he he does remain vulnerable on it. When you look at, at BC's consumption, there's lots of interesting numbers out there. We we consume around 200,000 barrels per day of gasoline. We only get, we have a refining capacity in BC, but it only produces around 70,000 barrels per day. We get a 30,000 from Washington. Most of the rest comes from Alberta. I mean, we're not going to... The idea that British Columbia is going to be self-sufficient in refining its own gasoline at some point seems a little bit ridiculous. We're either going to get it from Alberta, where, which we're at war with over expanding pipeline capacity. We're going to get it from the United States. But I'm not sure the end game that the premier kind of is going for with his arguments.
1: Well, here. also the zero emission vehicle law that the government has introduced that you just mentioned really kind of focuses the sort of how, how silly a lot of these arguments are because like you mentioned, by twenty by January 1st, 2040, now I know that's a long ways out, but still, this is written into law now, January 1st, 2040. Uh, you're not allowed to, it'll be illegal to sell a, uh, a light-duty motor vehicle that, is, that is, uh, consumes gasoline. So it would actually be illegal to buy or to sell a gasoline vehicle, a gas-powered vehicle. And the penalty for doing so would be a $500,000 fine or six months in jail. You know, and so at the same time, he's saying like, oh, someone should build a refinery here he's also passed a law that says it will be illegal in the future to to buy the vehicle that would that would take the gas from the refinery. So the stuff that he says is is a little nonsensical and I think it shows the weakness of his position and how vulnerability he is politically and it's going to be interesting to see if the how much damage the liberals can inflict on him on it.
2: That being said, like no one's arguing that John Horgan and the NDP government are responsible for the high price of gas well he keeps saying we
1: just put up the carbon tax yeah okay but it's a penny a liter right right
2: yeah but i mean there is there is a sense i think we all know it we that the gas companies are gouging us i mean that this idea that you can't explain in any rational way using the english language why gas prices go up? It's just impossible. It's just you can't. Oh well, we've got a terminal down over here for maintenance. We got now. Oh, it's the spring fuel changeover, and it's well, you know, the, the, well, it was OPEC and the, Russia. The OPEC and, and, uh, and the, these are difficult, turbulent economic times. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. And you know, the NDP government don't control it. But there is a question of whether the provincial government could cap uh, gas prices and right. or do something to intervene and set their own gas price. I'm going to play a couple clips here. Um, One of them is John Horgan getting asked a question of why doesn't British Columbia regulate gas prices like New Brunswick, uh, for example. And and so here's the question and the answer to that first.
3: Yes. Hi. Um, So again, with gas prices, um, do you think that it's time that your government consider following the Maritimes by regulating fuel provincially?
0: I looked at that as an opposition member. I brought forward legislation to do that, but what I've learned in the decades since I brought the bill forward is that it hasn't had a material impact in the spike in prices. It can only modify and regulate that over a weekly period. So the price will go up and the regulator can say it can't go higher than X, but uh, the week a week after that, then there's a new series of uh, inputs that change it altogether. I don't believe that the Maritimes are having any more success than we would have here with reg- pure regulation. Regulation, I believe it's a demand and supply question, and we don't have enough refined product for the travelling public. And the Trans Mountain Pipeline twinning, which is currently being proposed, is not about sending refined product to British Columbia. It's about sending diluted bitumen to port and then offshore somewhere else. You can't put diluted bitumen in your pickup truck, even if that fellow thinks he can. So John
2: Horgan's mentioning that he did bring forward a bill on this issue. I thought it'd be interesting. I don't know uh, if under your suit, Smitty, you got your Speedo on, but we are going to (laughs) jump into the hot tub time machine here. We're going to splash into the time machine, go way back to 2007. What a year that was. So John Horgan had a head full of hair. He had some glasses (laughs) on. Here is John Horgan as the NDP energy critic in 2007, introducing his bill to regulate the price of gasoline in British Columbia because he believes that the government should intervene and protect consumers. He calls this bill, the Retail Petroleum Consumer Protection Act. And here's what he had to say about it.
3: Uh, thank you, Honorable Speaker. Uh, and it is an honor and a privilege to rise in this legislature today to put words into action. Many of my colleagues have come to me over the past number of months with complaints from people all over this province concerned with declining world crude prices have not followed with the reduction in retail gasoline prices. As a producer of oil and gas, and with our immediate proximity to the oil fields in Alberta, British Columbians are right to expect that retail prices here would be lower than other provincial jurisdictions. That is not the case, Mr. Speaker. In fact, average retail prices this past week in Toronto where hundreds of retail outlets have been closed because of a supply, uh, supply crisis in southern Ontario unparalleled in modern times are still $0.08 cents lower per litre than in the lower mainland area. The intent of this bill is to amend the Utilities Commission Act to protect consumers from wildly fluctuating petroleum product prices by giving the Commission the ability to examine wholesale prices and regu- regulate retail prices prices with the view of reducing apparent price gouging, and to protect consumers. Regulation of this nature is within provincial jurisdiction. Other provinces regulate the sector with a view to protecting consumers and providing certainty for the driving public. British Columbians expect consumer protection from unfair pricing, and this Act will provide that protection. The amendments within the bill will give power to the Commission as an independent panel to ensure price fluctuations are consistent with market conditions and not set to realize windfall profits. It will also appoint an advocate to review and report on price volatility in BC so that British Columbians can be guaranteed that they are not paying more than the market requires. A place for controls, an officer for appeals and a commitment from this legislature to protect British Columbians. Words into action, Mr. Speaker. I urge my colleagues to support their constituents and assist me in passing this bill.
1: Well, John Horgan, we all know he's a Star Trek fan. Maybe he'd like to go back in time and erase and this uh, right. <laughs> this tape. What happened to that guy?
2: Where is that guy? Yeah. You know, now now he says he's learned some lessons there. But here's here's someone who believed that. The Utilities Commission, which is this independent agency in in B.C., should protect consumers from wildly fluctuating prices by setting some type of gasoline cap price. Mm. And then also, uh, you know, have some type of advocate who's in there um, reviewing and reporting on price volatility. Now, when you talk to John Horgan now about this, he says, look, New Brunswick tried this. It doesn't work. Well, New Brunswick, every Wednesday night, they set the maximum price of gasoline for the coming week. And uh, right now, it's $1.36 oh. a liter. Wow. And there, there was a report done in New Brunswick a couple of years ago that said, look, like maybe over time, New Brunswickers have paid more for gas because of these price regulations. But even still, there's other arguments that there may be a cent a liter on average less than the rest of the country. I think for a lot of New Brunswickers, it, it could be a popular idea that your government's at least got one handle on the car as it careens out of control on gas pricing. I don't know. Do you think there's any appetite for this discussion here?
1: I think Horgan is a little confused and a little vulnerable on this issue because he does seem uncomfortable when you ask him about it. And that tape of him back in the day saying that we can regulate and cap gas prices, I think is pretty devastating. And I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that pop up in a liberal commercial or something, because right now you've got liberal leader, Andrew Wilkinson saying, this is precisely, we should do precisely what Horgan was saying back then. Let's put a cap on the price of gasoline. People are getting hosed. And he's saying that I I suspect that the liberals are going to come out with a very detailed promise to do that. That if you elect a liberal government, we're going to cut the cut taxes on on a liter of gas, provincial taxes. Wilkinson's already talked about cutting the carbon tax or cutting other provincial taxes on gas. So on this one, Horgan has said, you know, at one point he, he sort of indicated, well, maybe we can give some relief from imp- for people on gas prices, and then it, that seemed to go away, and now it's like, well, we can't reduced taxes on gas because those, we need that tax revenue to do all kinds of wonderful things in British Columbia, including protect the environment and pay for schools and hospitals and everything else. So I think he's in a tough spot. Um, the fact that he talked about doing it in the past and now he says he can't do it is not good. And I think it's one of these areas of weakness where Horgan's going to be vulnerable going forward.
2: Yeah. And even though he argues that it's just a penny a liter extra because the carbon tax has gone up, the pennies add up to what two hundred, three hundred million dollars in in the carbon tax that that's money government needs, and it it is spending on transportation projects. I mean, it's not it, it's not a government with so much money that it could just get rid of that. That that is uh, we know from this podcast talking about all the different expenses of the new NDP government. It needs that money, and so I I don't see them digging into their own pockets and letting the gas companies continue to raise the price. Well, the taxpayers get less in revenue. I'm not sure that solution really, I mean, politically, it makes for a great talking point. But I don't know if the liberals or the NDP think that's really actually a great idea either.
1: Uh, Probably they're studying it closely, maybe doing some polling on it to see what people think about it. And if they do detect that it's perhaps an existential threat to the NDP's hold on power, maybe they do start whistling a different tune. But I think for for right now, Horgan's just trying to dig in and point fingers at anybody but himself.
2: Yeah. All right, well, let's puff, puff, pass on that issue over to the 420 Protestival yeah. that uh, that occurred. Now, I know, Smitty, you've been digging into this one. You've uh, uh, done some columns on it. You've yeah. been on the radio talking about it. What, so 420 is come and gone. Uh, you know, Sunset Beach uh, is the site of a massive uh, concert. Cypress Hill was there yeah. cranking out the jams. Yeah. The kids still say cranking out the jams? I don't know. I'm not sure. Dropping the beats and the such? Dropping the beats, is probably problems. more. There okay. So, what you, so, I mean, what do you make of this? They didn't get a permit. Um, there's a lot of controversy about uh, just, that, you know, the 420 organizers charging ahead when other festivals and events have to pay the policing costs. They're refusing to do that. But what, where do you think well, this stands? Well,
1: there's this kind of bizarre dance that goes on every year around this thing because this 420 event happens every year and it gets bigger every year and it ain't going away. So this year, they had a record turnout. It was 60,000 people at the peak, which is a little smaller than maybe some people thought. The, the organizers of the festival, I don't call it a protest anymore. I mean, marijuana is legal. What are you protesting now? It's a festival. The, the organizers figured there were 150,000 people there during the day, during the course of the day. Um, and what happens every year is the organizers say, this year, we're going to hold it in Sunset Beach Park. The Vancouver Park Board says, uh, there's no smoking in the park. We're not giving you a permit. Uh, Then the organizers say, well, that's fine, but we're holding it anyway. And then the city says, great, how can we cooperate with you on that? So it's almost like there's a, almost like a phantom permit in place for this thing because, and there was a three page, very detailed uh, letter of expectation sent by the city to the organizer saying, here, here's the plan for this thing. We've got, you know, here's the porta potties here's the, here's the site map, uh, here's the uh, health and safety plan we got. Uh, here's the plan with the cops and the fire department. Um, here's how the, here's how that we're going to have ground cover on the ground to protect the, protect the grass in the park. And I, one of the funnier lines in it, in this letter was uh, there's no, as you know, there's no smoking in the park, but since everyone will be smoking, can you please make sure there's enough ashtrays to uh, <laughs> dispose of the butts as they call them? Otherwise uh, known as a, uh, a roach, I believe. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, to me, I just... You know what I think? Give them the damn permit. You know? I mean, this thing's happening every year anyway. I think the city would have a lot more leverage with this this uh, event if they had it properly permitted and they could try to recover some of the costs for taxpayers because the organizers of the event say they'll, they'll pay for it. They'll pay for uh, all the costs associated with it except for the policing bill. That's the one cost they won't pay. They say they can't afford it to pay for the cops. Now you just mentioned they brought in Cypress Hill, this popular rap act or I guess it's a hip hop act out of California.
2: Rock and or Roll, I believe. Is that what it is Something I don't like that? Know. Okay,
1: I don't know. Um, I went online to a talent booking agency. They charge 100,000 US for a show,
2: for a gig. Isn't that roughly in the realm of the policing bill? Is that
1: It's uh, I think a piece it might be a little more than that. But if they can afford to pay 100,000 US to some California Hip hoppers to come up here and perform a free concert. How come they can't afford to pay for the cops? So I think if you gave them the permit and you sat down and say, "Look, let's let's negotiate these points here," I think you'd recover more money for taxpayers. And if the thing's going to happen anyway, why not?
2: Why don't you just permit? wait till the end when everyone's really high and then you just put Raffy on there for like twenty bucks? <laughs> would anyone even <laughs> then know the difference? <laughs> they clear out. know the difference. I so what. Following that argument through, Smitty. Yeah. What do you make of there was a big open letter from uh you know what we would call the law abiding festivals. So, you know, you had Live Nation Canada, you had the Vancouver Pride Society. They said this open letter out to the city saying, look, you know, like you gotta do something about this. How come everyone else plays by the rules and we get a permit or we don't and we don't do it there and we follow all of these costs and we pay everything. And then you're letting this one event off the hook essentially. What do you do if you give them that permit and they still refuse to pay the policing costs? What what do you think happens to the other events that are saying it's unfair? Well,
1: I think that letter raises some good points. And the ironic kind of reaction from the 420 organizers is they say they agree with that letter, that they also want to be treated the same as these other festivals, uh, starting with the permit. So you give them a permit to operate. Then you've still got the fight over, well, who's going to pay for the policing bill? Now, the Pride the pride Festival, um, which happens every year, they've got a deal with the city where the city picks up some of the costs for Pride including some of the policing costs, because it's considered a, uh, it's now got civic recognition as a major cultural event and an, an important event in the city. So what the 420 organizers are saying is, well, give us the same deal. Like we'd like the same deal as pride. So let's, let's do this all above board. Let's make this completely legal and permitted. And let's sit down and talk Turkey about some kind of a cost sharing agreement like pride has where the city might agree to pick up some of the policing costs. Um, maybe that's not a bad idea. I think, I think there's, uh, there's room here for some rational people to get involved and sit down and and try and do this properly. You know, they do, they have a big, uh, pot festival down in Seattle, right? It's called hemp fest and that's completely permitted, legal above board. I think it goes over several days and it's fine. Everybody's happy. I don't know why we can't get our act together here and, and get this thing going, you know? And I point fingers at both sides. Like I think... The organizers of the event, kind of thumbing their nose at, at officials, is not good. But I also think guys like Kennedy Stewart or the other leaders in Vancouver have got to start realizing: look, this this is a big event that's happening every year. It's not going away. Let's try and get a deal here that's going to protect taxpayers.
2: Yeah, the dialogue was a bit more nasty this year. You know, watching it, watching it on social media, you know, some of the organizers, Dana Larson and Jody Emery, they they really took their critics on and and took it very personally. Some of the criticism they really
1: they really went after uh, Melissa DiGenova, who was an NP. A vancouver city councillor who is married to a police officer and has been very critical of the whole event and thinks that they're they're getting away with uh thumb in their nose at officials and that they should pay for everything effectively um and i think she's got a she's got a reasonable point you know but you've got to instead of just you know pointing fingers and, sh- and calling each other names i think you've got to have some adults have got to take some control and sit down and say, "Okay, let's do a let's do a, a rational, reasonable deal here for everybody." Yeah. So I hope that happens next year.
2: You want to smoke the grass? You got to pay to fix the grass at the end of the event. I'm yeah. I mean, like the,
1: that. The, they're still taking a look at the damage in the park, and there probably will be some. They'll probably have to keep the park closed for a while while they replant glass grass or put down sod or something to fix it. Somebody should pay for that, and it shouldn't be Vancouver taxpayers. I think it should be the people who run the festival.
2: Mm. Speaking of angry taxpayers, so we've talked about this other issue in previous podcasts, but the Maple Ridge kind of uprising that is going on in that community over the uh, provincially kind of mandated um, supportive housing project now to break up their tent city and house the homeless Smitty, that's still going on. And the development now is that the mayor there, Mike Morden, has written to the UBCM, the Union of BC Municipalities, kind of a call to arms to other municipalities to join him in fighting back the provincial government and its uh, imposition of this project over top of local taxpayers' wishes. Do you think that's going to have much of an impact given, you know, you've been talking to the players out there? uh are is is the NDP receptive to the idea of other municipalities joining in on this and then it softens their position on the project or are we just or is this thing going ahead
1: either? I'm paying real close attention to this one because there's lots of communities that have, have have had controversial housing projects we know that there's lots of communities that have had tent cities and homeless encampments and all the problems that come with them so that's not unique what I think is really interesting here is how closely contested um, these two political ridings are. There's two ridings in Maple Ridge. They're both currently held by the NDP. They were formerly held by the Liberals. The Liberals are desperate to get those seats back. It's very close. And with the, the political divide in British Columbia being so close right now with the minority government, it's not too far a stretch to say the whole election uh, potentially teeters on a couple of couple three ridings, including those two in Maple Ridge. So I think that's why it's critically interest important to pay attention to this fight. And right now you've got pretty much kind of a standoff between the city and the province because the the province is saying we want to build this 51-unit modular housing development in Maple Ridge, low barrier, as they say. So people with uh, drug addiction problems, mental health problems are there. The, prov- the province is saying we're not just warehousing people and leaving them there to fend for themselves. We are providing wraparound services as they call them. This is kind of the new lingo and public policy on this wraparound services to help people with their addictions or their problems. The city is saying the si- the services are inadequate and that the 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 uh, project is not properly cited and it's too close to schools and it's going to cause mayhem in the neighborhood. They don't want it. And, The province right now, the position is, doesn't matter, we're building it anyway. This is provincial land. So they're overriding the the city's zoning powers, authorities here. So it's a real interesting standoff in a very crucially contested political battleground there in Maple Ridge. And the liberals are all over it now.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I think for Maple Ridge, I understand what they're trying to do here. Um, You know, you strengthen numbers, rally your allies, but if... um, numerous municipalities being upset at a government policy was enough to back the NDP off anything. It would have already happened on the speculation tax, which many municipalities were upset about, and they rallied to fight the government on it. And it would have already happened on the employer health tax, because the employer health tax just creamed the budgets of a lot of municipalities in the last year. They, they ended up getting hit with this extra... Uh, tax from the government as they transitioned away from MSP. We saw it result in property tax increases. You know, in Victoria, there was a big problem with the police budget because they were getting hit with it and the city was passing it on. You know, and, and there were a lot of municipalities upset by that. And I think, unfortunately... You know, the government ignored those those issues, those concerns, and it didn't matter how many municipalities or what UBCM said about it. It was just, well, this is what we're doing. And I don't think even if Maple Ridge manages to pick up a dozen, 20 municipalities signing on to a letter, it's not going to do much to sway, I think, Premier John Horgan or the, or the cabinet on just uh, putting this issue through.
1: No, I agree, but I think what might sway them is fear of losing those seats to the liberals. And right now, this week, the liberals sent out a flyer by the way, and this flyer is paid with paid for by BC taxpayers, because this is, uh, once again, another example of um, advertising being paid for through caucus funds at the BC legislatures. We talked about that in an earlier podcast, yeah. where this is kind of a new trend, where we're seeing more public money being spent on political advertising here. Um, this flyer, I'm taking a look at it right now, it says, Maple Ridge deserves better. You deserve the facts on homelessness and addiction in Maple Ridge. Then it's got a picture of, John Horgan, and it's got a picture of the two NDP MLAs in Maple Ridge, Bob Deeth and Lisa Bear, and it says your NDP MLAs are missing in action. Instead of standing up for you, Bob Deeth and Lisa Bear are following orders from John Horgan. And Maple Ridge is paying the price, so you can see how the Liberals now are already targeting these two seats on this specific issue around this housing project.
2: Well, and, the and M- the they ML- want
1: those seats back bad.
2: The, the MLAs aren't very vocal about it, to be very, no, no. no they're, they're, they're they're running and hiding, and if you do pin them down on it, they will say a couple things, and you know they got some carefully prepared lines that say nothing to anyone on any subject, and just kind of dance around the issue. Yeah. but they are vulnerable. They're it, nervous, sure. and I
1: think they are vulnerable because there was
2: ten thousand name. Pat- against this project that was
1: collected in Maple Ridge. Uh, there's hundreds of people have turned out at some rallies. Uh, this mayor there, Mike Morden, is very effectively whipping people up against this project and pointing the finger at Horgan. And I think there's a lot of pressure on the government to back off. And I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to see the government sort of say, ah, let's let cooler heads prevail here and let's try to think of a different plan. Maybe. We'll see how determined they are to build this project we over have, local opposition.
2: We should have put that in our New Year's predictions. I would have taken the opposite side. I still think you know, this is a government at a point now where... It is just going to override municipalities on the things that it wants done, and I. But you're right. I mean, at its but political it's so close. at its political peril for yeah. sure. But giving in to Maple Ridge on this issue, when they fought every municipality on every other issue, uh, and and held the line on them, I, I'm not sure they want to set that. Well, precedent, that's but. a
1: that's a really good point. But you know, if if this was a fight that was happening in some uh, safe Liberal seat or a safe NDP seat, where the seat's not politically in play. They might just shrug their shoulders and just say, "Fine, no, you know, it's our way or the highway or whatever." We're still going forward with this thing. I still think though those two Maple Ridge seats are absolutely crucial politically, and the Liberals have won those seats typically in the past. And one of the reasons that the NDP won um, those two seats last time was over the it was over Horgan's promise to get rid of bridge tolls, because there's a lot of people in those ridings would use the bridges, and they love that promise from Horgan to get rid of those bridge tolls, that was just probably the best promise Horgan made in that election, really helped him in a lot of close seats. Well, now that's kind of euphoria, these bridge tolls has kind of gone away. If this issue starts to dominate in Maple Ridge politics, you could easily see those two suites swing back to the liberals And, and the liberals would think that's our ticket to get elected and into power is winning close seats like that.
2: We'll keep an eye on that. I know the legislature is coming back uh, next week, and so will be a lot of questions, a lot of Uh, A lot of um, noise here at the legislature, for lack of a better term. So we'll see how that resonates and and what else comes up in B.C. politics. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the Apple News feeds. Follow Mike Smith on Twitter. Read his columns in the province. Uh, Follow myself and read my work in the sun. And uh, we will talk to you next week and uh, be back with all the latest on B.C. politics. Sounds good. Talk to you then.